So if you will, if you found your place in Galatians chapter 6, go ahead and stand to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word. And you guys feel free to read along with me as I begin in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Let's pray. God, as we read your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to speak to my heart, God. Um, Lord, as I certainly need a, a visit from you in a special way, and I know many here this morning, we all need you, Jesus. And I pray that you would take control of this service. This is your service, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength that we need to fulfill um, your vision, God, to fulfill your plan for our lives. And Lord, I pray that in that, that we would find joy. God, that joy is found when we're in a close relationship with you. We know, Lord, the world has a lot of counterfeits. The world has a lot of options for us that uh, promote happiness, that promote fulfillment. But God, we know they're all empty. That at the end of the day, if we indulge in those things, we're left more empty than we were when we began. But Lord, today we know that true fulfillment comes with a relationship with you. True joy comes in a relationship with you. And Lord, really, you created us for the sole purpose of being in a relationship with you. So God, today we love you and we thank you. And we entrust these things into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at Pole Creek being a family to love on, last week we talked about being a family to lean on. And what we talked about was, was ensuring that internally our church is strong. And the way that our church is going to be strong internally is, number one, to have a right relationship with God. But number two is to have a right relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know I encouraged you guys that if you were at odds with anyone else in the church, if you, were, if you had a broken relationship or something going on, I, I encouraged you to go and repair that relationship because we know that the focus must be restoration, that we have discussions about disagreements, that we have discussions about conflicts, not just so that we can prove each other wrong or right, but we do that for the ultimate goal of restoring the friendship, of restoring the relationship. And that's what's important in being a church that is strong enough, not only for us who are inside of it to lean on, but also for those in the community that we're going to win to Christ to lean on. But today I want to talk about this same church being a, a family that you can love on. And the reason I say that is, is because obviously there should be love in the church. But did you know that God has called you to love the church? God has called you to love those in the church. God has given you a, a, a desire to not only love, but to be loved. And we find that that is found best in family units, in the family that you have. I know that as we just went through the holidays, many of you spent time with family. And the worst thing in the world is to think that you love your family, but they don't love you. Or to think that you pour into them and you pour into them and they never show signs of appreciation or love back. And see, God has, has designed us and really created us to reciprocate love. Not that we love in order to get love, but there's something about people loving us in return that just gives us strength, that just gives us purpose, that gives us confidence, that, that makes us feel like we're appreciated. And it's very important. And in the church family, it's no different. In the church family, God has called us to love each other. And the key that I want us to look at this morning is 
is that God has built in certain unchangeable laws into the world. And those laws never change. So the first question, and I'm going to ask two questions this morning, and these two questions pertain to this, the church family being a family to love on. The first question that I want to ask is, who is it good for? In other words, being a part of a church family and loving others, being a member of a church family and loving those in the church, who is that actually good for? Is it good for the ones being loved? Is it good for the ones extending the love? Is it good for the church as a whole? Or is it good for all those? That's a question that we'll answer. So if we look there in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 6, there the verse says, Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Now historically, that verse has been interpreted to kind of mean that those who are taught are to be financially compensated by those who are being taught. Well, I would disagree with that translation or that interpretation. And the reason I would is because as we've been going through the book of Galatians and as we went through the entire book in a previous series, we found that the book of Galatians is really talking about legalism in the church. Legalism and how we deal with the fact that Jesus doesn't save you because you're good. You're good because Jesus saved you. The faith comes before the works. You do good because Jesus is good. You don't do good in order to get saved. And, and that's really what the whole book is about. So it wouldn't really fit if the whole book is talking about grace. Grace, you're saved by grace. You're saved by not your own merit, but the, the perfect holiness of Christ. You're saved because of his death on the cross. You're saved because of his resurrection. It, it doesn't seem like it would fit to then all of a sudden go to this thing about financial uh, security or, or giving someone something to support them in their ministry. What I would say this actually means, and this is a, a, an interpretation that I came across, is that verse 6 is actually talking about fellowshipping in the Word. So as you are being taught the Word of God, whether it's from a pastor, whether it's from a Sunday school teacher, whether it's from a mentor in your life, whether it's from your parent or whomever it is, the beautiful reciprocity that you enjoy in that relationship is that as you're being taught the Word by someone who is stronger in the faith or knows more of the Word, is in an overflow of appreciation, you talk back with them about the word, that you have this loving relationship among you that is central and foundational in the word of God. That, hey, you know what? Thank you so much for sharing the word. You know, I was studying the other night and I came across this, you know, and God blessed me and God spoke to me through this. And, and that's that relationship here that it's talking about. If you look there, the word share in verse six is actually the Greek word koineo. And this word actually carries the idea of fellowship. So here we have this idea of a family to love on. We have this idea that as we are doing life together as a church, as, as we're learning the word of God, as we're growing in our relationships with one another, as we're spending time together, we are fellowshipping with each other. We are loving each other. It, it's this reciprocal love. I love you, you love me, and, and we're able to serve alongside of each other because we have something very important in common and it's our Savior. We know Jesus. We're, we're the same mind. We're a like-minded group of people. And that's what makes church so beautiful, by the way, is because we have a like mind, we're able to pursue a goal and a vision together. That's why unity is so important. That's why we focus so much on unity in our church is because unity comes with being led by the Holy Spirit. And if everyone listens to the Holy Spirit, he's not going to tell you something different than he's telling me. He's not going to tell you something that's against me. 
He's one and he is unity. And when we listen to the Holy Spirit and we move forward in unity, listening to what he's speaking to us, that's when God can do amazing things through the church. That's when God can truly change communities like Candler, North Carolina, through a group of people like us. So here we have this idea of fellowship, this family to love on. And Paul here in verse 7 begins to use this analogy. And this is where we get into these natural laws, these laws that never change. And he begins to talk about the idea of planting, of sowing seeds and then reaping what's grown from those seeds. In verse 7, it says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Here's the idea. If you plant an apple seed, what grows? If you plant a pear seed, what grows? And I promise you, it works that way every time. That's one of those natural laws that I'm talking about. Now, that law did not come into being by chance and by evolution and by the Big Bang. The reason that an apple seed always grows an apple tree is because the creator God who made the heavens and the earth built that law into his creation. The reason that you can always count on an apple seed to grow an apple tree has nothing to do with the genetics of the apple seed, has nothing to do with the fact that throughout millions of years, apple seeds have always produced apple trees. The reason that happens is because God made it that way, because God decided it that way. And in the same way that God built in unchangeable natural laws, God also built in unchangeable spiritual laws. In other words, as believers and as Christians and even as human beings in general, there are certain things in the spiritual realm that will never change. Here, Paul talks about that. Did you hear what he said? He said, the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. Now, that doesn't mean only sometimes. That means that there is an irrefutable law that will never change that says, when you invest in your own sinful and lustful desires, when you invest in your own wisdom and your own understanding, when you exclude God and do your own thing, you will always reap destruction. Now, that's as sure as, as when you plant that apple seed, an apple tree grows. And that's what Paul's trying to, to, to communicate and to get across to these Galatians and even to us today. But then on the flip side, he says this, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. I read a story about a man and his family who had just arrived home after vacation. And they discovered that there was a very large, strange plant thriving in their garden. They later discovered that the plant was actually a sunflower. But the question was, well, how did a sunflower seed get into our garden? We didn't plant sunflowers. Well, come to find out, a friend planted it there as a practical joke while they were away on vacation. So the question never was, though, from the family, how did one of our cucumber seeds grow a sunflower? It was never, man, that carrot seed must be something wrong with it because it, it grew a really big, huge green plant. No, it was never that. The question was, back to the foundational natural law, how did a sunflower seed get into my garden? Because the question never was, what seed grew this plant? 
The question was, how did the seed get into the garden? And as Paul plays on that, he would have known that it would have meant a lot to these people because in that particular era specifically, but really throughout human history, without the except, with the exception of now, human beings were agrarian people. They were people who grew their food. They were people who knew how to grow, grow food. And it was a part of their everyday life. So it would have meant a lot to them to use this type of analogy. Well, God has ordered our universe in this way, but he has also ordered the spiritual realm in this way. James chapter 3, verse 12 says this, listen, can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Obviously, the answer is no. John Piper wrote a book called Desiring God, and he really formed and really invented a term that is really widely accepted today, and it's called Christian hedonism. Now, what hedonism is, is it's the philosophical idea that life is really just all about getting pleasure, that you're here so, and there's really no, no meaning or no purpose to life, so just get all the pleasure you can get while you live. Just spend all your time and all your resources, center your life on just trying to have fun and get pleasure. Well, John Piper takes this term hedonism and he, he turns it into a Christian idea and talks about Christian hedonism. And what he's talking about here is, is that we as Christians have always rested on the idea that obviously we get our joy from helping other people. But we always have said, you know, if I help someone else so that I can have joy, well, that takes away part of the reward of doing that thing because now I'm doing it for myself. And now it's self-centered. And now it's not about the other person. But I want to argue today that maybe that's not wrong. That maybe the reason that we've not been a family to love on, maybe the reason that we've not always been able to serve as God has called us to serve is because we're worn out, because we're tired, because our motivation for serving has always been about other people, about the good of others. Now, don't get me wrong. That is a good and a noble and honorable reason to serve. But what about you? What about the one putting in the effort? Did you ever think that it might be okay to serve God because you know it's going to make you happy? Because it's going to bring you joy? Because the reason that God has given you the opportunity to serve him is so you can be happy? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I, and I mention this because a lot of times when, I, when somebody says catechism, they think of Catholicism. But a catechism, basically, it's an ordered way to teach theology. It's an ordered way to teach children, primarily, but even adults about God. And basically, it's in a question-answer format. And as long as the theology is accurate of a catechism, I fully support those. Hannah and I have used them for our kids, and they work very well in teaching our children who God is, why are we here, what is sin, how can you be saved, all of those great questions that are important to learn about the Bible. But the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first question that it asks is this, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the purpose for your existence? Why are we here? What are we supposed to accomplish as creations of the Most High God? Well, the answer in this catechism is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, what about that? Now, as Christians, none of us would argue that our purpose and goal in life is to glorify God. We would all say amen to that. But how many times do we forget and enjoy Him forever? How many times do we look past that part of our calling and that part of our purpose and that part of our existence? 
Listen, God has not just called you to just begrudgingly trudge through the trenches and serve and, and, and work and do and, and sacrifice and, and all these things without joy. God has called you to be happy. God has called you to be a person of infinite and true joy. God has called you to have a joy that surpasses any kind of joy that the world can offer. But yet as believers, we so often forget that. Hey, what if you decided to serve in children's ministry because you knew it was gonna bring you joy? Don't, don't even think about the children. Don't even think about the other workers. Think about you. And, you'll, and very rarely do you hear pastors ask you to think about yourself. But think about yourself. What if it will bring you joy to serve the Lord? Hey, why did you get saved? Why, those of you who know Christ, why did you come to know Jesus? Well, obviously it was because the Holy Spirit was working in you, but why did you say yes to Jesus? Was it so that other people could benefit? Was it so God could benefit? I'm just gonna be honest with you. The reason I said yes to Jesus was for me because I knew that my soul was weighing in the balance. I knew that my soul was gonna spend forever somewhere. I said yes to Jesus because I knew it was best for me. Now in Christianity, did you know that you can choose what's best for others and what's best for you at the same time? That the two don't even conflict with each other. Now, in the world's idea of that, the world would say, well, listen, either you can get all you can get for you or you can give it to somebody else, but you can't have it both ways. Did you know in the Christian life you can have it both ways? That you can spend your life, the entirety of your life, every breath that God gives you serving others and that it is truly what's best for you and that it is truly what's gonna bring you the most joy is when you spend your life serving others. You know why? Because it's the heart of God because he made you to spend a, in your life in a relationship with him. And when you fulfill that and you spend that relationship with him, there is no joy that can surpass it. And that's what's being taught here in this scripture. He's saying, listen, if you, you're gonna reap, first of all, you're gonna reap what you sow. Just forget trying to dodge around that. That's a law that has always existed and always will exist and it is unchangeable. If you sow to the flesh, you're gonna reap destruction. And if you sow to the spirit, you're gonna reap eternal life. Now, we understand that you can't lose your salvation. And we understand that that particular verse there is talking about salvation. That if I trust Jesus as my Savior, I'm sowing to the Spirit, and therefore I'm reaping eternal life. But even beyond that, those of us who know Jesus, each and every day you can sow to the Spirit. Now, we're not talking about in terms of salvation anymore because we know that we can't lose our salvation once we're saved. But we do understand that as we daily sow to the Spirit, that we will daily reap the benefits of that. We will daily reap the joy that comes with serving our Lord and Savior. We'll daily reap the benefits of the joy that comes with giving him our lives. Because Christianity is really unique in that the Bible teaches us that if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you give your life away, you gain it. And you say, Ben, that doesn't make sense. Well, listen, I'm actually comfortable with that. And the reason I'm comfortable with not everything in the Bible humanly making sense to me is because why would I want to serve a God that is just like me? Why would I want to serve a God that's wisdom is on the same level that I'm on? Hey, I want to serve a God that's greater than me. I want to serve a God that has ideas and truth that I can't even comprehend. I want to serve a God who is so far greater than me that I can't even comprehend who he is because he is so far above me. I'm okay with that today. 
That's why I'm okay with the Trinity. I'm okay with God existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You say, Ben, how can one God exist in three persons? I don't know, but I believe it. And I don't know, but I'm glad that my God is so awesome that I can't even explain him with human terms and human wisdom. Hey, that's okay today. Uh, An ancient church scholar named St. Augustine once said this. He said, if you love your soul, there is danger of its being destroyed. Therefore, you may not love it. Since you do not want it to be destroyed, but in not wanting it to be destroyed, you love it. You're like, what? That doesn't make sense. It does make sense with God. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, the Bible says this. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let's just park right there on that, because I know that whether you've been in church your whole life or not, you've probably heard this, this saying, this, this scripture, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What does that mean? Now, a lot of people think that means, well, it's just more honorable. Because then when people find out that I give more than I receive, then they'll think, oh, he's a good person. But it's so much deeper than that. It's more blessed to give than to receive, not just because it's more honorable, but because of what it does for the giver. In other words, when you give out of, out of the right heart because you love the Lord and because you want to benefit someone else and even because you yourself know that it's best for you, the Bible's saying that you are more blessed in that. In other words, you are more happy when you give. You have more joy when you give. You may say, Ben, well, that's unspiritual. If I give just because I know it's gonna make me happy, well, that's wrong. Well, no, the Bible is saying this to us. It's saying it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is better for you, the Bible is saying. It is better for you, an individual person, when you give more than you receive. How is it better? Is it just better because it's... No, it's better because it brings you joy. It brings you fulfillment. It's better for you as a person. So maybe if we start to rework the way we think, and we start to understand that in God's economy and in God's idea of what it means to be in relationship with other people, you can be happy and have everything, and so can those that you serve. Because listen, we don't talk in terms of material possessions either, anyways, do we? Because we know that God provides every need that we have. You say, well, Ben, if I give it all away, I'm not going to be rich anymore. Well, Ben, if, if I do this, then I'm not going to be able to meet my financial goals. Well, whose goals are those? Are those yours or are they God's? I mean, I mean, who is determining all these things in your life? Is it you or is it God? Because listen, it's not about the wealth. It's not about the possessions. It's not about all those things. It's about joy. And let me tell you something. You talk to people, no matter what culture, no matter what religion, no matter what uh, ethnicity, and you're gonna find that there's a common theme that everyone is pursuing, and it's joy. People are pursuing happiness and joy in this life. And did you know that's the one thing you can't buy off the internet? Joy is the one thing that you can't get in a package. Joy is the one thing that psychiatrists can't give you. Joy can only be gotten from God. And it's gotten from God when we are in a relationship with him, glorifying him and enjoying him and listening to him and allowing him to use us for his glory. That's where joy comes from. And that's how we become a family to love on because we start to realize that bearing one another's burdens, that loving on one another, that serving in God's household 
is not meant to be a drain on us. It's meant to pick us up. It's meant to bring us joy. Hey, you know what? If somebody says, Ben, if you do this, then you'll, you'll have joy and you'll be happy. Sign me up. I'm not going to turn that down. Hey, you know what the Bible's saying? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You'll be happier when you give more than you receive. That's the Bible, and that's the truth of God's Word. And today, that's what God is communicating to us here at Pole Creek. It's okay to enjoy God, and it's okay to do things for God because you want joy. Today, get that out of your mind that that's somehow unspiritual, because it's not. That's what God has called us to do. So with that first question that we asked, who is it good for? Who is it good for? Well, it's good for you, the giver. It's good for you, the person who's extending the love but it's also good for everyone else, and I praise God for that. But then lastly, to whom should we extend our love, and when should we extend our love? And that's answered there in verse 10. If you'll look with me at verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So when... When should we extend our love? When should we love on each other here in this church? When should we love on those in our community? The Bible says, as we have opportunity. In other words, every chance you get. Every time you get an opportunity, love on somebody. Every time you get an opportunity, share with somebody. Anytime you get an opportunity, encourage somebody. Because the Bible says you're gonna have joy when you do it, and it's gonna glorify God when you do it. Secondly, secondly, to whom should we extend our love? Here at Pole Creek, as we're talking about uh, loving on our community and loving on each other. Well, both are mentioned here in this verse. You see in verse 10, it says, number one, let us work for the good of all. So that means people who don't look like us, people who do look like us, people who don't smell like us, people who don't talk like us, people who look different than we do. As I've said many times, Candler, North Carolina is not just your small country community anymore. There are people from all over the world moving into our county, in our community, people who don't look like us, talk like us, or have the same beliefs we do. But God did not say just love on those who you are comfortable loving on. He says love on everybody, on all people. God's put us here to love on our community regardless of who our community is made up of. And that's certainly something that we need to hold true to. But then also, did you hear the end of verse 10? He says this, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Today, God has called you to Pole Creek. If you're a member at Pole Creek and you've invested in this church family as a member, then God has called you to be a part of this church, not only to be loved on, but to love on others. And you know what? That's where you're going to be the happiest. And I've heard so many people, and y'all have heard me say this until I'm blue in the face, but there's a lot of people who say, I can do church just fine in other places. I don't have to be in the four walls of the church to do church. I can do church at the lake. I can do church at the beach. I can do whatever. And some of that is true, okay? I'm not going to knock all that. But what I will say is you are foregoing many of the benefits that God has built into the institution of the church when you do that. The church is not a human idea. In Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church took place. And when the Holy Spirit was given to mankind, the church was formed and created. And God talks throughout the New Testament about the benefits of the church in your life. When you don't come to church, you're hurting yourself more than anyone because you're forgoing that opportunity to love on your brothers and sisters. You're forgoing that opportunity to be loved on by your brothers and sisters. You're forgoing the opportunity to hear the word preached. You're forgoing the opportunity to serve. And remember what we said? That's where true joy comes from, when we're in the will of God and we're serving him. And listen, I want to be happy. 
I want to have joy in my life. And if I know that I can find joy better when I'm serving alongside my brothers and sisters and loving them, then that's where I want to be today. And I hope that's where you want to be. And I hope maybe that this has maybe hopefully reshaped your idea of what it means to be a part of a church family. That it's not about how much you give. It's not about how, how much you know, status you have. It's not about trying to better your business by being a church member. It's not about you know, trying to figure out an XYZ plan to getting a better marriage. All, although those, many of those things are important, but it's about joy. It's about truly experiencing what God has for you. It's about exchanging second best for the best. It's about, and, and I, I've done this before. What, what if I said you can have a dollar, you can have a thousand dollars? You pick one. You can have either one. Well, there's not a crazy person in this place that wouldn't pick a thousand dollars. Okay, not a one of you. I know y'all. Y'all wouldn't do it because some of y'all are already thinking about how what kind of gun you could buy with that thousand dollars, or what you could, ladies, what kind of clothes you could buy. Y'all can say amen right there. Don't lie about it. All right, but you'll all pick the thousand. Why? Because it's better. Because it can buy more. Well, today, if I give you two ways that you can achieve happiness. One, well, the happiness isn't real and it doesn't fulfill and it's not eternal. And one that does fulfill and it is eternal and there's no joy that can surpass it. Everyone's gonna pick that one. You're gonna, you're, you'd be willing in a heartbeat to trade second best for the best. Well, today that's what God's asking you to do. He's not asking you to do anything hard. He's not asking you to do anything crazy. He's saying, would you just give up second best for the best? And I'm talking about for you today. He's saying, would you just give up trying to get this empty fulfillment that you keep chasing after? And today, would you just get it all? Today, would you just let me fulfill you? Today, would you let me give you joy and let me give you peace? Hey, there's nothing better in life, by the way, because that's why you were created. You want to know why you were created? It was to be in a relationship with the God of the universe. And today, he wants you to be happy. He wants you to be full of joy. Today, he's calling you to that. Let's pray.